I'd like for you to turn in your New Testaments now to Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 25. It's not every Sunday that you get to preach on Judas Iscariot. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. As we're kind of getting down to this hinge moment, this kind of gear shift moment in the life of Jesus. Mark 14, verse 10, these are the very words of God to you and to me. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, this is in the feast of the Passover. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover together? And he sent out two of his disciples and he said to them, go into Jerusalem, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. And wherever he enters, whatever home he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare the feast for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city. And they found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And, and they sat down and they were reclining at table and eating and Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me now. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, take, receive. This is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. The passion is now in motion. 
the sufferings, the passion of Jesus is upon us, and we are down to the fine brushstrokes of what will open up that passion of Jesus, the very reason that he was born in Bethlehem, we are about to see him actualize and complete his mission, which was to die. And um, last week we, we, we looked at it. If you weren't here, you can listen to the sermon online. But we looked at that famous passage about Mary, the, the daughter, excuse me, the, the sister of Lazarus, who had this beautiful, expensive ointment, spikenard, that called, had most everything she owned was, was wrapped up in this. And he, she broke it, and, and so it couldn't, it had to be all used. And she poured this, this ointment over his head, and Jesus said, she is preparing me for my death and burial. You see, we are moving now toward the cross. And in our passage, Judas goes out one way, and Jesus descends, sends his disciples out another way, and they're all going to meet together in an upper room at the Last Supper, and we're going to learn something very important by where they went, what they did, and what Jesus said when they were all together. So let's look at where Judas went out and what his purpose was, Judas' way. We, we kind of say in our culture today, Judas is the trigger man. He's the one that pulls the trigger. He's the one that basically goes to the authority where it is now going to structurally be something that is going to come down on Jesus of Nazareth. He is the trigger man that, that sets this in motion. And he goes his way. And where does Judas go? Judas, and he took some effort to do this. Judas had to kind of go out from them. And Judas had to go find the chief priests. And he found them, and he made a deal. He, he made a, a, a bargain that he got paid for, 30 pieces of silver, the other Gospels tell us. He, he made a bargain that he would betray Jesus to them. And kind of what that looked like was they didn't want to arrest Jesus in front of the crowds because the crowds adored Jesus, and they were afraid of kind of a riot. They were afraid there would be trouble. So they needed to find a time when Jesus would be kind of offline and, and more private. And, and Judas said, I'll let you know the exact time and place. I will take you to him, and then you can arrest him without anybody knowing, and you can do with him what you want to do. And it says that in verse 11, they were so glad because they had been thwarted over and over. And Jesus slipped away because it was not yet his time. But now it is time. And they were so glad that, I mean, can you imagine all the frustration they'd had? And now one of his best friends, one of his chosen 12 comes to them and says, I'll help you. And now they know it's going to happen, and they promised to give him money. And look at this, and he sought an opportunity. Judas had to have like a second part of this that he had to think about when he kind of looked at the daytimer of what was going on with Jesus and the disciples. He had to think about the exact best time to betray Jesus. Are you sad about Judas? 
Are you just disgusted with Judas? When I was a child and I heard about Judas, I was, Judas was kind of like the villain, like hiss, Judas, boo, Judas. And you know, I wanted Judas to get what he had coming to him. But you know, you live a little life, you get knocked around a bunch and think, people do things to you that you, they shouldn't do to you and you have to apologize for things. And, and, and all of a sudden you might see Judas more as a human being than just a villain. Somebody made in the image of God. And you might even feel a little bit sorry for Judas while you are disgusted with him. And the only reason I say that is I'm going to make the case that you and I are a lot like him in some ways. There's been a lot of discussion about why Judas betrayed Jesus. And I just want you to know that Pastor Weed is not going to give you the answer this morning. It is just not given in the Bible. Um, a lot of different ideas, you know, that maybe G Judas was expecting for Jesus to be the Messiah in the same way the crowds were, you know, on Palm Sunday. Here we come, he's going to take over, and there's going to be this sudden revelation of his forever kingship, and there will be domination over the, the enemies of Israel, and Jesus will be the forever king who will sit on the throne, on David's throne, and rule forever. And, and Judas could see the handwriting on the wall, that wasn't going to happen. So maybe he betrayed him because of that. Or maybe Judas really was shown to be incredibly selfish, greedy, untrustworthy. And not only was he disappointed with Jesus, maybe he was, couldn't take Jesus' holiness and his love much longer. That his big problem was Jesus. And you know, from Luke and John's gospel, it says that, quote, Satan entered into him in the Last Supper, that Judas evidently had made himself vulnerable and open to the enemy. And then out of that openness and out of that um, pressure, so to speak, of the enemy, he acted. And we know this from our passage. Jesus says, hear me. That it was destined for Judas to do this. It was destined by God himself. Jesus says it was destined for him to be betrayed and crucified. Look at verse 21. He says, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Meaning, what has been written before about me, this is what must happen. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. And he includes this. In this of what happens and what has been written, uh, the betrayal of Judas. And he says, but woe to that man through whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better that he had never been born. That's sad. That's serious. So isn't it amazing? I don't know if you ever like telescope out from a passage and just kind of think and the big picture, maybe pull in some other passages, some perspectives about who God is, what God has said, what he has done in other places. It's kind of comparing scripture with scripture. But isn't it amazing that, that at one time, at, at once, something can be a part of the larger plan and purposes of God, though it is tragic. Do you hear what I just said? Something, though it is tragic, could, is a part of the larger plan and purpose of God, like Judas' betrayal. The Son of Man goes, as is written of him. 
But at the same time, and yet, there's a lot of and yet in the Bible. And yet, at the same time, it is, it is, it is Judas' own thinking. It is Judas' own heart. It's not just some kind of a fait accompli somewhere in the, the overarching plans and purposes of God and the prophecies about the Messiah. It is Judas' own heart. It is exactly what Judas wanted to do. I think this is important, y'all, because let us never forget that we are responsible for what we say and do, even though we have a God who is completely sovereign. That comes from our hearts. And yet, <laughs> and yet, we take great comfort that God is sovereign, don't we? Because hard, bad things are happening. Hard things are happening to you, to me, to everybody. Great comfort in the sovereignty of God and, and his sovereignty over Christ's betrayal is also his sovereignty over his mercy and grace. You see, those go together. He's just as sovereign over Judas' betrayal as he is sovereign over the fact that there needed to be a cross. He's sovereign over all of that to convey his great mercy and grace to us. And that's about to be given. We are, I mean, we're down to hours, y'all. Hours. God is completely sovereign. He is the ultimate multitasker in the cosmos who stands over the universe, who controls all and yet who gives freedom and free agency to people with hearts, minds, souls, and consciences to do what they will choose. So first, Judas goes his way, and his way is to betray. But Jesus sends out the disciples another way. There's kind of like, they're all kind of going in two different directions. They're all going to meet back up. And the disciples' way, I mean, you talk about the sovereignty of God. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Um, they are told by Jesus to go into the city, and that city, of course, is Jerusalem during the feast of the Passover. And, you know, as you read different biblical scholars, like the modern biblical scholars think there's anywhere from 250,000 people, maybe up to a million. And then you have these ancient sources, particularly Josephus, who says, no, there's two million people in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. And we're thinking he's like a little bit that's a little bit of hyperbole or, or something. We don't know. But uh, Jesus basically says, think about a million people, okay? Go into the city and look for a guy with a jar of water. Y'all, there's no plumbing in Jerusalem. You don't get water unless it's in a jar that you carry. How many jars of water are going to be in the street? In Jerusalem, y'all, roughly 30,000-ish normally up to a million Go into the city with a million people and find the guy with the jug of water and follow him. And wherever he goes, go into that house and that'll be the house of the master that then you will say, um, we want our room, man. The, the master sent us to get our room. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, this is like being sent out to find a needle in the haystack, right? Unless God is sovereign and he's very sovereign. 
And it, it is true that, that women carried most of the water in those days. I hate to say that, but it's just true. And slaves carried the water. But if you found a man who was not obviously a slave or was not obviously a woman, then, uh, then that might be a little more rare to find. But Jesus says, go into the city and you will be met by a man carrying water. And so they go into this, just this packed city. You know, the Psalms talk about how Jerusalem is a city, a compacted city within the walls, built strong by the hand of the Lord. And this is where the tribes go up, you know, and it is just packed. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had sent out his disciples on a task like this. Um, you know, it's funny, Gina will send me out on a will you go find this for me in the house? And I can never find it because I, I can't see with her eyes and I have to come back and say, hey, you know, I couldn't find, what, what is, what, is that a box or is that a, what is that I'm looking for exactly? Well, let me come find it, you know. Um, Jesus has sent them out before. You, you may remember before his triumphal entry, they said, go into the city, go into to Bethany and uh, there's going to be a donkey tied up. Well, there's lots of donkeys tied up in Bethany and this particular donkey will have a, a colt, you know, a young donkey that's never been ridden on and what I want you to do when you see that donkey and that colt, I want you to go and I want you like to the hitching post, think of a western movie. I want you to go untie it from the hitching post and I want you to just take it. <laughs> okay, not their donkey, all right? And then Jesus says, and when they say, when someone says, and I'll put it in my language, you don't mind. Hey, that's not your donkey. You're taking my neighbor's donkey. You answer them, the Lord has need of it. And they will say, okay, take it. They go into town. There's a donkey. There's a colt. They grab, they unhitch it. They're taking it back to, uh, to Jesus. And uh, someone says, hey, that's not your donkey. The Lord has need of it. You follow that guy with the water jug, and wherever he goes in, you go in, and you say to the master, the Lord has need of your room. This is the Airbnb we are renting, that the Lord is renting this room to have the Passover. Verse 13, and he sent two of his disciples, said, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him wherever he enters. Say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where am I going to eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished, meaning with furniture, and ready with all the furniture there. Um, there you will prepare for the, fast, the Passover. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he told them with a million people and prepared the Passover. Now it was Thursday, uh, otherwise known as Monday Thursday in the church these days. It was Thursday when Judas went out. It was Thursday when, when Jesus sent out his disciples to procure that upper room. And what's interesting about that is the, the Passover meal was normally celebrated on Friday. That was the day of atonement where the, the Passover lamb, like the lamb, was sacrificed for the people. And, um, but you could celebrate the Passover on Thursday. I'm not going to bore you with like the five different reasons that people were allowed to uh, celebrate the Passover on Thursday. One of them, I will tell you, is people from Galilee that had a long way to go actually could do it early. That was one, and they were Galileans, so we're not sure why they celebrated the, the Passover meal on Thursday. 
But you know, um, we say that, like, when did Sunday morning start in, in our time? It started at like 12 or 12.01, I'm not sure which. It started at 12 a.m., right? That's not the way it worked with the Jews. When the sun went down, that was the end of the day. And the Sabbath began when the sun went down, that was the day. So I don't know. Maybe their, maybe their uh, dinner, some people say it was on Friday. It was after the sun went down. It doesn't really matter. It's called Monday, Thursday. I'm not even sure why I just told y'all all that. But one thing for certain, Jesus would have this supper now. And one of the reasons he was having that supper now is because he would be the Passover lamb slain for the sin of the people on the day of atonement exactly in the right spot for his cross to have that kind of overarching meaning. So sometime that day, you know, an order was put in and a, uh, a lamb was purchased by the disciples and a priest um, slaughtered that lamb and that lamb was set apart and that lamb was was put on the altar one of the altars in Jerusalem and that lamb was cooked and that lamb was brought to that house and what else was brought to that house we're going to find out in a minute that it was important bread was brought to that house unleavened bread that was a part of what you celebrated the Passover meal you not only had lamb you had unleavened bread and then wine was brought to that house and there were several other things ingredients that were purchased to have the Passover ready and it was all ready you know how sometimes when you've come into like a rehearsal dinner or something and everything the table is just beautifully set there's uh, what my mama called the buffet the buffet all the food is on the buffet and it's hot and it's ready and it's just uh, going to be lovely and we're going to uh, enjoy this meal whatever this meal is that's exactly it said in the evening they came everything was ready just like they thought it was going to be they sat down they began to have the Passover meal just like they had had it since they were little boys and you know you 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 were supposed to celebrate the Passover with your family or friends or or a combination thereof people you were close to and they were certainly close after three years uh, with one another and it was just a normal Passover meal, just like the rest. It was just clicking on all eight cylinders right through the sequence of the Passover. And it was mean, meaningful and it was worshipful. And then Jesus said something shocking. And once Jesus said this, the entire meal changed forever. And we're going to eat it today, the new one, not the old one. What was it that Jesus said? Verse 17. And when it was evening, they came... He came with the 12 and they found it there and, and they were reclining at table. You know, you didn't pull chairs up to tables then. You kind of reclined on cushions. Those were low tables that you ate from. They were reclining at table and they were eating the Passover meal. And suddenly Jesus said, verse 18, truly I say to you. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I want you to know something. He says, truly I say to you, like really pay attention to this. Verse 18, truly I say to you, like in the middle of the Passover meal, one of you is going to betray me. They've been together three years. They've been through everything together. One of you, he says, is going to betray me. And one of, it's one of you who is eating with me, he says. And when it was evening, he came, and it's one of you who is eating, he says. Um, and then it says that they began, this is kind of 
wonderful in a way. They began one after another, the text says, began to ask this question. I mean, you kind of feel sorry for them because, you know, Christ is sovereign. He knows stuff you don't know. And maybe you don't know you're the betrayer. And one after another, they say, is it me? Is it I, Lord? And the next one, is it I, Lord? Is it, this is like right in the middle of the, this high worship Passover meal thing. And Jesus answers. He says, it's one of the twelve. And it's the one who's dipping bread into the dish with me right now. The answer was plainly, Judas, it's you. And the other gospels identify Judas as well. And Judas gets up and leaves at that point. Remember what Jesus said, what you're going to do? Because he did know. Go do it quickly. Let's not drag this out. The time is now. So... Is it I, Lord? There's a, there's a, Jesus answered that. It, it's you, Judas. But there, there's a second way that that can be answered that would be true. And, and I think it is, this is an important thing to focus on, like how the betrayal and the Last Supper kind of come together right here in this church and has incredible meaning for us as we take the Lord's Supper. And that second way of answering the question, is it I, Lord? The first way was about Judas is to answer it this way. The truth is, the answer is to the other disciples, yes, it is you. And it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you. And you know, every one of them are going to um, betray Jesus. Every one of them are going to abandon Jesus. Very shortly, we're down to hours. Is it I, Lord? He could have said, it is you. And you. And Peter will even deny that he'd ever met Jesus. We'll get there next week. It is the second way of looking at that question that brings such an insight into the, the Lord's Supper. Here's the deal Jesus died for betrayers. Not just in the full-on Judas sense of the word. That's not what I'm talking about here. But in the sense that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have turned away from him. We have turned to our own way. We all have decided to do what we want to do and betray what Jesus wants us to do. We all have turned away to worship other people, other things, rather than him. Do you have the courage today and the honesty today as we approach this table that Jesus is setting apart for us in this passage to ask that same question, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Am I a betrayer? I hate to tell you this, but the answer for you is yes, it is you. And it is me too, by the way. But it is you. Let us be honest at the table today. Let us not pretend we're, that we're not like those other people. Let us see our unworthiness for so great salvation. If we were worthy, we wouldn't need him. 
And let us see and remember, because do this in remembrance of me. Let us see and remember at this table today the Himalayan mercy given to us on Mount Calvary. Let me just say that again. The Himalayan mercy that we need given to us on Mount Calvary where Jesus died. Just what betrayers like us, sinners meaning like us, need. Could you today bring a repentant heart to this table? Could you bring and desire a repentant heart to turn from yours, our selfishness, right? And turn to Jesus. Could you this morning come to this table needy and desiring to turn from selfishness to Jesus? Now, why, why am I belaboring this? Am I just trying to make you feel bad? No. No. You know, we, we play all these games inside of our head with God. There are people that are really concerned about something they said, thought, did in their life. Like, they're concerned. And they're not coming to the table. Because they have put themselves on probation. I want you to know, if you have a repentant heart and believe in the grace and mercy of God are willing to own your own betrayal, I mean by betrayal I mean sin, don't not come to the table. This is, this is why we have the table. It is for that Himalayan mercy and that forgiveness to find you. It is for, and me, it is for this renewal to find us as a church. The fact that this was set, the Lord's table, was set in the Passover meal itself shows us that nothing less than death could forgive our sins. Meaning that the lamb had to die all through the Old Testament. This is how serious our sins before God. Like we don't do like grading on the curve. We don't do averages. We're not trying to be a little bit better than somebody else. That, that's not the way God looks at it. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift is what Jesus, that, the salvation that comes through, through Jesus Christ. Nothing but death. And, and, and the cross is like the extension of the Passover. The Passover lamb had to die with the blood smeared over the door. Therefore, the, there would not be death, but there would be life. And then the exodus, and then the bringing out from slavery. Well, it's the lamb of God, and he has to die. And it's a great, greater exodus, because Jesus is our Passover lamb today, and he is our greater exodus. Y'all understand, we just read this like, um, you know, he was, they were at the Passover and he took the bread. Like, yeah, the bread, like exactly the way you're doing in the Passover. He hijacked the Passover meal. God himself said to keep the Passover. You're not supposed to mess with the Passover meal unless you're God. And he hijacked the Passover meal. And he said, you know what this bread is? This is not the bread of haste anymore. This is my body. You know what this blood is? I mean, this, this cup is? This is not the, the cup of redemption, which was exactly the cup that he took. This is my blood, he says. Verse 22, listen to these words. As they were eating, as normal, he took the bread. 
And after blessing it, as normal, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, receive, this is my body. I'm the lamb. And then he took the cup, verse 23. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said, this cup, you know what this cup is? This, this isn't just the old cup of redemption figuring something. This is my blood. This, this symbolizes my blood poured out for many. Y'all think about this. Body, bread, broken, torn, crucified, broken, torn, given, receive. Blood, wine, poured out, given, drink, take, receive. We don't just set this beautiful table. And thank you all to those of you who are in the service that do that. And even the ones that clean up afterwards. We don't set it to just adore the elements. We set this because eating is receiving and literally taking into ourselves that which Christ has given us. You know, in the Old Testament, eating was an act of intimacy, meaning if you ate with somebody, you were like putting your arm around them saying, this person's important to me. I, I, I accept this person. I receive this person. So enemy to, to eat with somebody was very intimate. That's why the Pharisees went crazy when he, quote, ate with tax collectors and sinners. We receive the supper personally in this intimate act of eating. So in response to his words, for any repentant betrayers present this morning, and you're just going to have to ask yourself whether you're a sinner. <laughs> you're going to have to ask yourself, is it I, Lord? But for any repentant betrayers, we're going to remember the cross by taking and eating and drinking. And we're going to do this by, by thinking about his death. And we're going to commune in real time, the present, now, with him. Not just Jesus crucified, but, but Jesus raised from the dead. Because the point of the supper isn't just to have a moment of silence for Jesus. The point of the supper is to remember the cross and to literally have intimate fellowship with him. That by the Holy Spirit, his presence is conveyed to us. Obviously, his presence is here anyway, but it is especially conveyed through physical signs, elements. It's not that the elements themselves are the issue. It is by faith that something of, yes, God became man because he loved me. Yes, God has died for me. Yes, I belong to him. And the risen Christ wants to restore you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to hear you pour your heart out to him, your tears out to him, your gratitude out to him, your praise to him. We will have table fellowship. We will commune with Jesus and all that he has given you. Bring your weary souls. Bring 
your repentant and grateful hearts to him. You know, I love the words of institution in the Gospels because we find something that's not included in 1 Corinthians 11 that we normally read and we will today. You know, Paul said, that which I received from the Lord, I passed on to you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, etc. The gospel accounts add this sentence. And I'm going to add a word from Matthew, if you don't mind, just to kind of coordinate those a little bit together. This is the sentence, and it's verse 19 in the verse. After this is my body broken, this is my blood poured out. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew, and Matthew says, with you in my Father's kingdom. Don't you just love that? It says that there is, there is not only grace now, and there's the past that we remember and what that means for the present. And there's the risen Christ and spiritually a means of grace to us now. But y'all, this is about a future. Jesus really is Israel's forever Messiah and King who rules and reigns and is with his people. And we're going to worship this morning as we eat these elements with a sure hope of our future. We can see the future from here. And you know what it looks like? It looks like Jesus drinking that cup again for the first time anew with you. Because you're his. In his father's kingdom. Yes, this is a remembrance, but it is also a blessed future memory. You can think about that. So the, the passion is now in motion in this text. The man of sorrows is on his way to the cross and he's on his way to the cross and the reason he gave turned the Passover into the Lord's Supper is because he wanted to give it to you. You understand this? Jesus did this because he wants you to have it because he loves you and he loves me. We are his sheep. We are his children. Blood bought. He wants you to have this supper. He wanted to be your Passover lamb. So let's finish where we started the entire service. I'm going to give you your part so you can say it out loud. And we need a little oomph if you don't mind. My part is this. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ, our Passover lamb. This is my part. Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. And your part is come, let us keep the feast. You got that? Come, let us keep the feast. Okay, you ready? And then we're going to the table. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Come, let us keep the feast. Let's pray. Lord, we are coming to this table only because you have made the way. Only because you love sinners. And only sinners are qualified for your mercy and your grace. Oh Lord, would you help us? to desire? Would you give us a desire for repentance? Would you give us a softness of heart to be able to turn to you, not only to convey our sin to you, but also to, to experience your restoring love and your restoring grace? Would you make that happen for people today? Help us to believe in the cross as we hold the elements, reminding us of it, 
But Lord, would you help people to not put themselves on probation if they have a repentant heart? And God, would you meet us in all your beauty at your table? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.